Good morning, Cornerstone. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Cornerstone. And this morning, I have the opportunity to kick off our new series, what we're calling Walking as Jesus Walked. This series will take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. We spent the fall focusing on spiritual disciplines, these formative habits of the Christian life that, as we said, place us in the pathway and presence of God. Reading scripture, prayer, fasting, service, rest, witness, celebration, and so on. And as we talked about throughout the fall, all of these things are done not just in some effort to try to earn God's favor or just to, to look good in the eyes of others, but instead, we do these disciplines regularly over the course of our whole lives because we trust in Jesus' promise that he said in John 15, 5, that as we abide in him, as we remain in him and find our identity in him, we will bear much fruit. It will show in our lives. At Cornerstone, we are a diverse community of people who are seeking to learn from Jesus, to trust Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to help others do the same. We believe that's what it means to be a disciple. We build our lives around Jesus, again, not so that we can try to earn his favor, but because we want to emulate his character. We want others to catch a glimpse of God's grace and glory through looking at us. Or as we've said in our purpose statement here at Cornerstone, we exist to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We believe that it is through us, through the example of our lives, that our friends, our children, our coworkers and classmates and neighbors can or, or should see who God is that they'll see this through our lives, even or maybe especially through the way that we seek to faithfully follow Jesus, even in the midst of hardship and suffering, as Todd showed us last week. I don't know about you, I, I walked out of last week's message just thinking, this is, a, this is a heavy responsibility that Jesus has given us, and all the more reason that it deserves our careful attention. That's what this series that we're heading into today is all about. As we seek to abide in Christ, what should people observe in us? And it's all tied up in this idea of walking as Jesus walked. If you have your Bible or a phone or whatever you're going to use, open up to the book of 1 John chapter 2. This morning, we're going to look at the key passage that will guide this entire series. And if you're familiar with the book of 1 John, we, we read through it together last month then you know that John has one main point in this letter, which he tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, when he says that I've written these things, or I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This book is all about giving us confidence that we truly know God. And so throughout this letter, John repeatedly uses this phrase, by this we may know. He's giving us criteria by which we can evaluate the authenticity of our faith. In this letter, John is trying to do two things at the same time. He's trying to stabilize and strengthen true faith, but also destabilize false faith. He doesn't want us to fool ourselves or to fool each other, but rather he wants to help true believers have true confidence that they truly do abide in Jesus. He does this throughout his letter, but today we're going to focus on chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Read this with me. 
And by this we know that we have come to know him, to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. As you can see in these verses, John gives us two criteria by which we can evaluate the genuineness of our faith in Christ. The first one is that we may know that we've come to know him if, he says in verse 3, we keep his commandments. And the second one, especially in verse 6, is that we may know that we are in Christ, that we abide in him as we walk in the same way in which he walked. So let's consider these two criteria briefly together. The first one that we saw in verse 3 is this idea of keeping Jesus' commandments. This is an important place for us to start, but I mean, to be honest, it's not a very comfortable place to start. If you're like me, the idea of keeping commands given by someone in authority, it just, it, it grates against us, doesn't it? I think from the moment that the serpent whispered lies into Eve's ear, telling her that God could not be trusted, that he was somehow holding out on her and holding her back from being all that she could be, it has been hardwired in all of us as descendants of Adam and Eve to bristle against commands, to believe that freedom, that, that the good life is found in living how I want to live, free from the constraints and commands of others. And then you add to this the fact that at least for most of us, we've grown up in a country that was founded on the idea that freedom must be won through violent opposition against those in authority. And suddenly, the events in our nation's capital a few weeks ago don't seem so surprising, even though they were deeply disturbing. You see, we absorb through the culture around us this idea that, that people in authority exist to serve our desires. And if they don't do what we want them to do, we don't have to do what they tell us to do. And yet, here is the Apostle John writing to us saying that keeping Jesus' commands is the key to knowing Jesus. And as he says in verse 5, it's the key to experiencing God's love being perfected or brought to maturity or completion in us. That as we keep the commands of Jesus, the love of God is perfected in us in the way that we both love God and those around us. Indeed, for all the commands that Jesus has given us, and we'll look at several of them in this series, Jesus said that there were two that were the greatest, the two that, that summed up all the other commands of Scripture, and they were to love God supremely with all that you are, with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second to love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you this. Do you want that? Do you, do you want to know God and to experience his love in a way that fills your heart to overflowing and then pours out in love for him and for those around you? If so, then understand this. The commands of Jesus are not standing in the way of our freedom. 
They are actually marking out for us the path to freedom. As John says later in chapter 5, God's commands are not burdensome. Jesus said in Matthew 11, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll find rest in following me. Nowhere is this communicated more powerfully than what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Man, our world loves to quote that last verse about truth setting us free, but they and we too often forget or neglect the verse that comes right before it. That knowing the truth that sets us free comes as we abide in Jesus' words. But this is important. Remember, we do not seek to obey Jesus' commands in order to somehow earn his favor or his forgiveness. We cannot work our way to eternal life or approval with God simply by obeying Jesus' commands. It, it doesn't work that way. And besides, we will never be able to perfectly obey in this life anyways. But rather, as John says, we obey so that we might know God, not to impress him or somehow try to appease him. We are not saved by our obedience, but as John makes clear here, we are saved for obedience. We come to God by faith in what Jesus has done for us, not what we can try to do for him. And so it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that Jesus has paid our ransom, that he has absorbed our guilt and carried our shame and conquered the great enemy of death that stood against us. That alone is why we can experience forgiveness and have new eternal life with God. But if you know this, if you have come to know this Jesus who alone accomplished and secures your salvation, that knowledge will be demonstrated in your life in two ways. Number one, by a desire to know and keep his commandments. And then second, by a growing ability to keep his commands and help others do the same. By a, a growing, maturing love for God and others. Does that make sense? But before we move on to the second criteria, we need to stop for a moment and pay attention to this word, keep that gets used three times in this short passage. As I've already said, it definitely has the idea of obeying or doing what Jesus commands. But this word keep is much bigger than that too. The basic meaning of the word is to keep something in view, to, to watch or to guard, to keep Jesus's words in our view, to keep our focus on what he has said but then also to, to guard or to watch over them, to, like, like a shepherd making sure that all the sheep are accounted for so that we don't lose sight of what he said, that we don't forget something of what he said or, or tweak it or alter it or only emphasize the ones that we like. This idea of keeping Jesus' commands includes the ideas of both preserving and observing, of seeking to maintain something and ensuring its continuation by doing something with it. Let me, let me see if I can explain this with an illustration. This seems to me kind of like the way that, that we might want to preserve certain traditions that we've inherited either from our family or from maybe your home culture. These things that we don't want to forget, that we want to hold on to and even be able to pass on to the next generation. 
It may be a, a favorite family recipe, like your, your grandma's Christmas cookies or your mom's chicken tikka masala or something like that. But let me ask you, to keep those traditions alive, is it simply a matter of making sure you have a recipe card in a box somewhere? Is simply having a record of the words enough to keep the tradition alive? No, right? I mean, yeah, you won't get far without the recipe, but you don't serve the recipe card to your family for dinner. Instead, you, you take the instructions on that card and then you put them into practice, not just once, but you perfect it by practicing over and over. Make it over and over until that point where your family members go, yep, that, that tastes like mom's. And then, if you want to pass it on, you bring your kids, your nieces, your nephews into the kitchen with you so that they can learn from you, so that they can practice with you and keep the tradition alive by passing it on. All of that, I believe, is tied up in what John means when he says in verse 3 that by this we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments, if we preserve and pay attention to what he's commanded and then put them into practice and then pass on both the words and the practices to others. Or the way that Jesus said it in the Great Commission, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to Observe, that same word again, teaching them to keep, to observe, to be able to pass on what I've commanded you. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be engaged in the mission of making disciples of Jesus. So let me ask you, is this a reality in your life? Are you paying attention to Jesus' commands? Are you learning by putting them into practice? And are you helping others to do the same. That is what it means to keep his commands. And John says that is the basis for having confidence that we truly have come to know Jesus. The second criteria that John gives us in this passage is found in verse 6. Actually, it starts partway through verse 5. Take a look at this. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In these verses, John connects these two different word pictures of abiding and walking. To to abide means to, to stay, to remain, to be steadfast, to stand fast in something. And then to walk is pretty obvious. It means to to be on the move, to be heading somewhere. And and you put these things side by side and they almost seem contradictory, don't they? To abide sounds stationary, static, whereas walking is mobile and and dynamic. But if you step back for a second and you remember that these words were written by John, a man who spent over three years with Jesus, the contradiction actually starts to make perfect sense. John remained with Jesus by following him from place to place, from town to town. John abided by walking. And he tells his readers to do the same. Now, he he knows it's going to have to look different because Jesus is no longer physically here on earth with us. John saw him ascend to heaven in the cloud. So John says it's no longer a matter of literally walking with Jesus from place to place, but it is a matter of walking like Jesus in whatever place we find ourselves. If you want to know that you are in Christ, staying with him, 
John says, look at the manner of your life. Does it resemble Jesus' manner of life? John says here that it ought to. Not just that we should walk like Jesus or that he would highly recommend it, but he says we ought to. We have a, a duty, an obligation to walk like Jesus. This is how we grow in confidence that we are truly in Christ, that we truly have found our identity in him. Not just by thinking back to maybe that moment of our conversion, our, our baptism, when we, when we went forward at a service or prayed a prayer. John didn't just camp out on the memory of when Jesus first called him to follow him. John continued to follow him. And even after Jesus' ascension, John continued following Jesus' manner of life and helping others do the same. Including, think about that, including helping us today as we read what he wrote. The, the disciple-making ministry of the Apostle John continues through these words that the Spirit inspired him to write and then preserved so that we might benefit from them. That's fantastic. But I love it that what we have in Scripture is not just a record of Jesus' commands. John knew that Jesus was more than just a lawgiver, that he did much more than just issue orders for others to follow. What John found so life-giving, so, so freeing about following Jesus was that Jesus exemplified his commands. He modeled the very life that he called his disciples to live. Gosh, isn't that a refreshing idea in our day and age? A leader who actually does what he tells others to do? Jesus didn't just say, do this because I say so and I'm in charge. He said, do this because I made you and I know you and I know what's best for you. I know what will ultimately give you peace and purpose and life. And I'm telling you to do this because I'm also showing you through my words, my actions, my manner of life, what this looks like. You can trust me. Think back in John 13. We looked at this during the fall when Jesus washed his disciples' feet in such an incredible display of humble servanthood. And then he told them right after he did this, he says, you understand, I've, I've done this to give you an example so that you also should do just as I've done for you. And then he says a couple verses later, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Elsewhere in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus told his disciples, he says, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Catch that for a second. Jesus, right here in Luke 6.40, tells us his intention, not just for a select few like super Christians, but his intention for everyone who comes to him by faith. His intention is to train us to be like him. A little bit later in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 17, John says something along these same lines. He says, By this is love perfected in us, so that we might have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, as Jesus is, so also are we in the world. To walk like Jesus is the purpose of the Christian life. And John says, the way to have confidence in the Christian life. But maybe you're asking a question. Hold on a second. Okay. How can we be as Jesus is in the world 
When the world in which we live in the 21st century looks much different than the world that Jesus and even John lived in in the first century, how do we walk like Jesus today? That's a great question. That's actually the main question that we will be addressing in the rest of the series. Yes, our world does look very different than Jesus' day, at least on the surface. But if you go underneath, if you, if you look at the level of the heart motivations, the, the hopes, the fears, the desires that, that drive all of us as humans, I would say that things are very much the same between Jesus' day and our day. And Jesus, in his day, addressed those deep longings and problems of the human condition in the context of everyday life for the people that he was around. That's why so many of his parables are talking about farming and, and caring for animals. That's what people did. So the question is, if Jesus knew how to address the same timeless problems and concerns and desires of humans in his place and time, how do we learn how to do that in our place, in our time? Let me suggest to you that there are two main ways that we do this, which I would say we're going to practice together over the next couple of months and beyond. To walk like Jesus walked in our place and our time, it will require two things, consideration and creativity. First, consideration. We must carefully consider, study, reflect, ponder the way that Jesus walked. We have in scripture, these four precious, divinely inspired accounts of Jesus's life and actions. The, the New Testament gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are four distinct but harmonious perspectives on the life of this most remarkable person. So let me ask you this. When you read the gospels, what do you look for? Do you read them to behold Jesus? to get to know him, to catch the rhythm, the, the cadence of his life. Is your focus on Christ or on yourself as you read scripture? Do you regularly read scripture? Let me just be straight with you. You and I will not make much progress or gain much confidence in walking like Jesus walked without regular, careful prolonged focus on Jesus's life and actions. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that it is as we behold Jesus, the glory of God in the person of Jesus, in his word, in prayer, in all of the spiritual disciplines we talked about last fall, as we behold Jesus, the Holy Spirit works to transform us into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. We become like Christ as we behold him, as we focus on him, as we consider him. That's why we've set up another reading plan to guide us as a church this spring. In the fall, the hundred days, we read for breadth, like three chapters a day to fill our hearts and our minds with a lot of truth from scripture. This time, we're going to focus in on much smaller chunks of scripture, not, not three chapters, but maybe 30 to 40 verses a day. Less breadth, but definitely more depth. We'll be looking at what all four of the Gospels show us about the last few months of Jesus's ministry, culminating in his crucifixion and resurrection. It's, it's kind of remarkable the way that Todd put it together. It's kind of tracking through the same time of year that we're in, following Jesus through that last winter and spring of his ministry. And as we look at these accounts, we'll consider Jesus's actions 
and his attitudes. We'll be asking, okay, how did Jesus walk in the midst of the circumstances of his time, the, the, the needs of people, the fears of people, the political unrest, even ethnic turmoil, because all that was going on in his time too. And as we look at the way that Jesus walked, how can we walk like him in our time? And then as we, on our own and together, we consider Jesus's lifestyle, scripture also says that we should consider the lifestyles of the mature Christians that God has placed around us. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He says that we learn to keep Jesus' words and to walk like him as we consider the words and the walk of those who teach us the word of God. That's my role as one of your elders. And I want to encourage you to look at my life, to look at the lives of the rest of our, of our elders here at Cornerstone. I'll tell you right now, we're not perfect examples. We're still seeking to grow and repent and become more like Jesus. And I would say in that way, that way in which we seek to model humility and teachability, I believe that our way of life is imitable, worthy of imitation. And so I would say to you, what Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3.17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. We need contemporary examples of what it looks like to walk like Jesus, precisely because we live in a different time and place than Jesus did. So as we catch the cadence of Christ, as we look at his word and we look at those around us, how do we continue that cadence today. So I would say, in addition to considering Jesus and the mature believers around us, learning to walk like Jesus requires creativity. Some of you guys, that's a really fun idea. Some of you guys are going, oh, seriously, the hardest stuff in school was the creative writing assignments or when I just had to create something. Just tell me what to do. And I would say, no, Jesus hasn't left us a play-by-play -play script. He hasn't called us to duplicate the circumstances of what he did in his day, like, like we're some sort of Civil War reenactors who just go out there dressing like he did and, and trying to react play by play. Instead, the mission that Jesus has given us is to be faithful imitators of him, and I would even say innovators. It's a bit like, like a jazz musician. You're, you're, you're keeping the same rhythm. You're, you're riffing on the same melody with the rest of the band. But when it's time for you to solo, you're expected to improvise. You're expected to take the same song in new directions, but directions that fit with where the song has been before. This takes creativity, and I would also say it takes collaboration. We don't do this on our own. We catch the cadence of Christ with those who are on this same journey with us. We keep the commands of Christ by putting them into practice together and passing them on to others. We improvise, we, we carry the melody of Jesus's mission into new situations. But by doing this together, we make sure we don't drift. We make sure that we stay in the same key, that we stay on the same rhythm that Jesus laid down for us. In short, just as Jesus didn't walk by himself in his day, so we cannot learn to walk like Jesus by ourselves in our day. So each week, as we carefully consider Jesus' life in our reading and our prayer times, we will seek to 
creatively collaborate together, whether with those in your home or perhaps in a community group or home fellowship. You'll be asking the question, okay, if this is how Jesus walked, how can we walk like him in the places where he's put us this week? When we gather together to worship on Sundays, again, whether in home fellowships or out in the parking lot, whoever's preaching, what they'll do is they'll, they'll take one of the passages that we've all been reading and studying that week and kind of lead us by example. Walk us through how to both consider Jesus and collaborate creatively and how to walk like him today. But because each preacher will only be grabbing one of the passages, it's going to leave a ton of room for us to dig into the other passages as families and fellowship groups. So, so please do enjoy this time together. This cornerstone is what discipleship is all about. It's not a matter of trying to follow the latest popular preacher or personality. We don't follow preachers or personalities. We follow Jesus. It's not about attendance at church events, though those can help, but... Let's be honest, they're pretty limited right now anyway. It's about learning to abide in Christ as we learn to walk like Christ. It's about learning from Jesus, trusting him, becoming like him, and helping others to do the same. That's the direction we're heading as a church. And I hope that's where you wanna go too. I would say, listen, even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, my hope is that as you spend time with us, you will start to catch this cadence of Christ with us, that you will see the freedom that he offers you in keeping his commands, and that you'll join us in learning to walk like Jesus walked. But know this from the start. We will not do this perfectly. We'll mess up. We'll, we'll get things wrong. We'll offend each other, and then we'll have to seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness to each other because that's part of discipleship too. So don't be surprised if you see us mess up. I would say be more scared if you never see it. There's something we're not showing you. But I would say this, when we do mess up, I hope that what you see is a group of people who don't try to make excuses for our mistakes or blame them on other people. I hope that when you see us mess up, you see that we go to Jesus. We seek his forgiveness. We, we receive his grace. We remember and focus on his example, and then we try again to walk like him. If that sounds like something you want to be a part of, we'd love to have you join us on this journey. Cornerstone, I love you. It is such a privilege to be one of your pastors. I'm excited to continue learning from Jesus with you, and ultimately, I am excited to see how God makes himself known to us and through us to those around us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have not only left us your commands, you have shown us your manner of life. Would you guide us, Lord Jesus, as we seek to keep, to study, to practice, to pass on what you've given us? And would you guide us as we seek, as stumbling, as much like a little toddler bobbling around and running into the corners of tables and stuff. Lord, would you give us grace as we take these steps in learning to walk like you? And especially, Lord Jesus, would people see in us not our perfection or how clean and tidy we try to look, 
Lord, would they see you at work in the midst of us for your glory, for your sake. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.